Welcome. You are listening to the Cover to Cover podcast, lively conversations with cutting edge authors, hosted by Mary Elizabeth Jackson. Mary is an author, advocate, and educator. Join us to find your new favorite author, book, or inspiration. And now, here's Mary. Welcome, everyone. You are listening to Cover to Cover. I'm your hostess, Mary Elizabeth Jackson. Today, I'm discussing the business world with my guest, Ted Clark. I'm so excited to have him on. He's a businessman, an entrepreneur, and an investor with over 40 years of experience as a senior executive in both public and private equity-owned specialty chemical companies. And that's a mouthful right there, isn't it, Ted? (laughs) Um, He is the CEO of a global um, company of sealants, coating, and adhesives. You know, what I love about his story is that he really did start from the ground up and um, he did not go to college. And so, you know, you're, and I haven't brought Ted uh, up yet, but, you know, he really is a testament that, hard work, tenacity, sticking with it, you know, pulling up your pants and really getting to it, um, really have a place in this world for success. And and he's a testament to that. And I really love it. Um, he started as a shipping clerk and he rose through the ranks to become president and CEO of Products Research and Chemical Corporation or PRC. Um, it, they're a global leader in aircraft construction and sealants. We are talking about his new book today. And that is called Buy and Build CEO, Leveraging Private Equity to Build a Winning Global Business. And isn't that everybody's uh, goal when they're in business, right? This um, book is a chronicle of his 14 years of adventure in the world of high stakes, high rewards in business, which sounds like a murder mystery thriller already there just with those words, right? (laughs) So Ted, welcome to the show. Welcome to Cover to Cover. Well, it's great to be with you, Mary. Thank you for having me. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited to have you on. And, you know, you have such a plethora of knowledge to offer people. And I know that with your book release, you're doing a lot of interviews and um, you're giving a lot of information out. You know, folks, you can go buy this book on Amazon. So make sure and go get it. It's a great time for gift giving, isn't it? Right now <laughs> with Christmas coming up. Um, so can you tell me a little bit about the finer points of buy and build merger and acquisition strategy? Because I know like in, in everything I've read about you, you know, you've got some finer points that you focus on. And so do you want to go over a couple of those real quick? And then we'll jump into some questions. Sure. Yeah, I'd be happy to. Um, well, as you said, I, mean, you know, I, I started my career as a shipping clerk and I worked my way up. So I learned all the aspects of running a business kind of at a biological level, including mergers and acquisitions. But as I got higher in the, in the company and, um, I decided to leave uh, to leave uh, PRC and um, wanted to start my own business. Uh, built a thesis around the idea find bill, which is which is essentially, you know, you 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 look at a, a, a market or or a business segment and you look for certain characteristics, right? So you know, typically should be pretty big, should have lots of targets, like you know, fragmented market where there's an opportunity to actually acquire businesses, and then it should be anchored with a really thoughtful strategy about what it is you're trying to build, right? Because the the bottom line of all this is that you want the sum of all these little businesses that you buy. You want those sum you want to exceed uh the you want to create value in the business beyond the sum of its parts. At a very simple level, that's that's what you're trying to do with buying a bill. Um but you know it's complicated uh, uh, uh 
uh, uh, strategy and the book really talks about sort of how to do it, right? you know, how to pick a primary equity firm, how to develop the pieces, how to get your first deal done, et cetera, et cetera. So it's sort of like a, it's a pitch that you would do as you, if you're an author for publishers and a literary agent, you know, it's that, I mean, there's, there, the, it kind of, it's interesting. There is parallels, even though that's a different, totally different business world, you know, and there's strategy to everything in life to be successful and following up and following through are two of those very, very important things to do in life in business. For yeah, sure. No, that's, yeah, that's exactly right. And, uh, and there's a lot of parallels. I mean, in, in any, any kind of successful endeavor, you know, all this starts with a thesis, right? And, you know, a thesis backed with experience um, and then developing a way to communicate that to get people on board with you that would be willing to invest or willing to commit, you know, in the publishing sense to, you know, back, back in your writing and so forth. So, yeah, it's very similar. Yeah, because, you know, really, at the end of the day, we're all a dollar sign to anybody who's going to invest. And and you have to not take things personally. And you have to be able to be, you know, you have, a, have to have a tough skin and go, okay, so yeah, I am a dollar sign to this individual or these individuals. And I got to tell them, why am I so special? You know, why am I worthy of their time, their money and taking a risk? And you got to be able to sell it. And, and that's super important. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. And uh, you know, I talk about this in the book about the idea that you know, you know, people back certain kinds of individuals, right? So in my case, what we call a purist manager, somebody who kind of knows and understands a, a, a market segment at what I call a biological level, right? So 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 they're really looking for your expertise, just the same, it, you know, it, it, it is, as you as a writer, right? They're looking at like what you've done in the past and and. Uh, you know, what have your accomplishments been and you know, what is it that you want to do in the future? And then deciding based on your experience and what you've accomplished in the past, betting on your future by backing you with, um, you know, whatever, you know, equity or support or whatever you need to, you know, to, 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 to complete your, you know, your project. Right. Okay. So why private equity? Isn't there another way um, or are there other ways to finance a new business? And I will say through the pandemic, I, I know in like the writing world um, and uh, the music world, the entrepreneur world, the whole entire landscape has changed. You've got people on YouTube making millions and millions of dollars and they're walking around with the camera and showing everybody what they do all day long. I mean, there's really no rocket science to it, right? And it didn't take an education and it doesn't take an expertise or any of those things. Yeah. And, and you've got people making all this money. So, you know, how much... How much do you feel that that has crept into like your world of business? Yeah, well, um, well, first of all, um, you know, there's all kinds of different ways to start businesses, right? So if you're starting from scratch, you know, you can you know you can borrow money from your family, or you know, or you know, you know go to get a small business loan, what it might be. Um, and some businesses, you know, are great to start from scratch. But what 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 I was trying to do really, because I was running a large business. But I didn't have my own enough capital to go out and buy a company and then, you know, leverage it up and, and buy additional companies. So I knew I had to have a partner. And the way private equity works is it, it, private equity doesn't really invest in startups, right? So they're really investing in companies that have existing cash flow. And then what happens is they're trying to, you know, uh, get that first company in the platform company and then use that cash flow that that company generates um, you know, by growing it organically as 
best you can uh, to to then go out and leverage the company up again and, and buy a second business, right? And, and and putting those businesses together to create, you know, a business that's different and more valuable than the pieces that you're that you're putting together. And that's you know that's 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 how private equity works, right? So they're really looking to invest in a thesis and a strategy and a manager that uh, that can lead the, that kind of value creation activity. To, to your very point, right? So that you know they're not they're not putting the money in because you know they're altruistic, right? <laughs> you know they're putting it in because you know they want to make money for their that their investors. And who, by the way, I mean all, all their investors are you know. Uh, pension funds and, you know, university endowment funds, insurance companies and so forth. So, you know, what people don't really realize is that, you know, most individuals who have 401k somehow have money invested in, um, you know, invested in, you know, or, 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 you know, have investments in private equity that they probably don't even know that they have, right? So it's, it's a, it's a, as an asset class, it's, it's, uh, it's a it's a it's a much higher turn asset class than say public equities as an example or stocks and bonds. So it's a little bit more risky, but the potential for higher returns is there with private equity. Right, which is really it's awesome for the for people who are involved and who can do that. Um, it's it's a um, um, well that's that's the goal for all that's the goal for what you're going for. Um, I have a friend who lives here in he was going to build a house and he ended up with, you know, 5,000 square feet bigger. And of course my girlfriend, his wife was freaking out. And, and then he said to me one day, he said, you know, I made all my money. Right. And I was like, well, no, because we've never talked about it before. He's <laughs> like, I bought buildings. I've just bought up all these buildings in town and then sold all this stuff. And I was like, okay, well that's, you know, it was just so funny because I thought all of it had come from his individual business that he had. And he's a guy who never went to college either, but he went into car dealerships that were failing and he helped build them up. And then he had his own dealership and that, you know, so he's, he's done brilliantly in his life, uh, but he's a testament also of that kind of, you know, just taking that, that tenacity and curiosity and your, your internal instincts um, and making those work. And, you know, we don't get those from being on, on technology all day long. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I mean, you do learn some instincts from some of the the games that that kids play. It teaches you strategy and, but it, it, a different place in the brain than your, your basic core life instinct. So beyond providing equity and structuring the balance sheet, what else do private equity partners bring to the business? Yeah. So, um, so you know, uh, historically, if you go back you know twenty years, they they were they were mainly just kind of bringing in this ex- this financial expertise, right? How to structure the balance sheet, how to, how to get the company set up, and so forth. But as the private equity business has grown, um, uh, it's become more important for those firms to actually partner with the management teams and in terms of providing resources that the management team can use to uh, more quickly. Uh, execute their strategy. So, as an example, uh, most of the uh, private equity firms that have have some elements of operational excellence, right? So, not just the deal the deal people, but they have you know maybe uh, you know really experienced uh, you know financial person or operating person or you know as you said, I mean that now that the hot thing right now is is sort of uh, you know digitizing businesses. So they'll have people like that that can help you. So so they know that they have to they have to create some 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 functional help and support to support the strategy of the management team, right? So it's 
it's really you're evolving into a very kind of close partnership. Um, particularly when you're doing M and A, you're involved with them all the time, right? Because you're, you know, in every deal, you've got to kind of bring back your your PE board, which is typically pretty small and pretty quick, quick decision making. Um, but then, as you negotiate the deals, you're negotiating it, you know, side by side with the the, the PE firm, and um, and uh, you know, they're building the, the return models and you know, sorting out, you know, getting the financing in place and all those kinds of things so that the management team can really remain focused on, you know, uh, organic and inorganic growth and accomplishing, you know, the business strategy they set out to accomplish. Yeah, and those those relationships are very important uh, for dependability and um, being able to work off each other. Um, that's another key that's very important in all of this. There's that trust factor and that... Uh, um, just that compatibility is very important um, in day-to-day -day business. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I write about it in the book that you know the you know picking the you know picking the right partner is like really important in this, right? Because you know you're going to be with this private equity firm from anywhere from you know, sort of three to five, maybe seven years, right? And you know you're going to be working closely together. So you know trust and transparency, and you know have, you know kind of not it, it is the operator because I do try to write the book from an operator's point of view that you know you can't change the strategy every year right you have to you have to have the end in mind when you start you have to have the end in mind and you have to be moving towards that you have to be able to show that you're moving towards that but a little bit different than in public companies you don't you know it's, it's not every quarter that you need to worry about it's like at the end of the year did you move the ball down the road um you know to get to where you want to go and uh, and if you made the right the right investment so that the next phase of growth is going to happen in the next year and so forth. So, so it's, it's different in that sense. Um, not that public companies don't have that long-term strategy, but they've got the long-term strategy balance with this every quarter, you know, they've got to report all their earnings and so forth, you know? Yeah, they do. They're, yeah, they, they're, they're, their um, <clears throat> timeline is a little different. So yeah, exactly. Yeah. exactly. Yeah. Right. Yeah, very so, and, and I know this is important to you. Uh, why is buy and build a good strategy to develop global business? Because you, you know, that's one of your passions, isn't it? About yeah. getting folks to invest in, in and think more globally with their businesses. Yeah, yeah. So, and it was, you know, again, I, I tried to build everything that I've done in my career off my, uh, my, you know, my experience in learning how to become a CEO. And I and that happened. That experience happened to be a global company. And it was in uh, it is adhesives and sealants industry, which is a global industry. And uh, and and to a certain extent, uh, when I started um, with, uh, Royal Adhesives, which is the, the company that we built, um, we we focused on fiber. You know, I think we had eight different markets we wanted to go after. You know, most of them were global, right? They had global customers like you know maybe Boeing or Lockheed or Airbus, and you know uh, you know the. All the, all the different auto companies globally, um, and then a lot of big durable good, goods companies, you know, uh, that that were out there. So I knew that for us to be successful, we had to um, we had to really uh, develop, uh, uh, you know, glo you know, globally, so we could service the customers correctly, right? So, you know, we we started as a kind of a small regional business, and uh, you know, I first focused on North America. Uh, we we built that up. I found a, we found a really good company in Europe, which also had a small subsidiary in China, and then that became the basis of our 
of our more of our global activities. But uh, but the idea again, as, as I stated, it's you know with these strategies, you have to sort of you have to sort of have an end in mind and you know, and, and always working toward that, right? You know, and that and that's that's the importance of kind of thinking from the very beginning we're going to be global, even though you know we're just a kind of thirty million dollar regional piece of company when we started. So. That's in, yeah, that's very interesting. And in, I know you've already been talking about some of this during um, our interview. And w- what is, you know, working for the private, equ- is working for private equity, excuse me, more risky than working for a public company? What do you think the difference is? That, I mean, you've already stated some of those differences along the way, but, you know, anything else that you want to add to that? Yeah, I would say, um, I would say, you know, you know, you know, you know, if you're running a good public company, there's a lot of pressure on the team to do well, right, and to and to accomplish their goals. Um, but but I would say, you know, it's uh, you know, in, in private equity, it's 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 really important to be focused on getting to that to that end goal, right? That you know, sort of why did we invest in this, and are we getting there? And it's much more. In some ways, it's clearly more transparent, and um, and you know they say, I mean, you know, the, I think the average life of a private equity CEO is like three or four years or something like that, right? So, um, you know, it's it, you know the you, you know you, you can't be you know you, you have you have to sort of deliver the goods in in in, 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 in a genuine way that people understand. You know, it, it uh, it's a kind of it's a kind of business where. If you have weaknesses, you're going to get found out pretty quickly, right? So, you know, understanding the team and every everybody who's there, uh, not being afraid to make you know, not not so much change the strategy, but 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 to make changes to get to the strategy. You know, I often describe this as, you know, you're, you know, you're you, you know you're running a business, you're on a big economic sea, and you know things change and politics and pandemics and all this stuff. So, so you need to kind of be agile and be able to move around, but you need to always be kind of going to your end goal, right? And I think that's where some of these companies sometimes uh, fall down, right? They, you know, it doesn't get off out of the gates right, and you know, or maybe you have a bad year, you're not generating enough cash, and all of a sudden the original strategy starts to get questioned, right? So it's very important to um, you know to really uh, you know to really always be driving towards your goal. Um, yeah, because you know you're you know, you're 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 you're, you're, um, you know, you're you're never the majority investor who is the CEO, right? You know you have you know some of them, but the private equity company is the control entity, right? So in the end, they're going to make a judgment on the CEO and the management team that are they getting to the goals that were originally contemplated, and if not, you know they're the ones that that institute the, you know a change if it's needed. So what what do you think was the saving grace during the pandemic for companies, large and small. What do you think was, I mean, obviously it would have to be, everybody had to re-strategize and, and we had to rethink lots of things totally differently, right? Yeah, yeah, I think, um, you know, I, I look at this, this the pandemic as three phases, right? I think we're actually in the third phase still right now, but in the, you know, obviously the first phase was, um, you know, very quickly, um, uh, you, you, you know, you know. At, at that point, I was chief operating officer of a global company with close to four billion in sales and seventy-two factories around the world. And 
you know, we had to delegate responsibility to, you know, right down to the plant level, right? Because uh, all different uh, locations around the world had different, you know, authorities with slightly different rules. So they all had, they're all kind of similar, but slightly different rules. Uh, we had to make the case that we were an essential business, which we were, because, you know, that, you know, we, we, you know, we do all kinds of stuff that keeps, you know, daily life, you know, working properly. Um, and, uh, uh, but I think the biggest thing was trust, right? You know, and we just reorganized the company right before that, but the idea we were going to actually give authority down closer to the markets and closer to what things were happening. And, and by giving that trust and, and giving guidance, but not dictating, you know, how everything should work. Uh, and allowing our our local teams to you know make decisions about the best way to keep their employees safe and to respond to the uh, you know local authorities who were you know obviously locking things down and all this stuff. Uh, you know we were able to keep all 72 factories open, right? So that was that was the opening phase of the pandemic. And then once we got into the opening phase, we started thinking about okay, well we need to be thinking about you know you know the pandemic is going to be here. We don't know when it's going to you know stop and we know this is all going to be different, different places in the world, but we need to be thinking about like what we were able to do. We were able to go out and call on customers again, or, you know, go out as a team and visit our plants and visit our employees and support, particularly the, you know, the manufacturing workers who worked right through the pandemic. I mean, you know, not, none of them were you know, to work from home. Um, so, so we did that. So we did a thing we call first and fastest where we, you know, we wanted to, you know, we really studied every day what was going on with the pandemic all over the world, but where we could, you know, we started to, to get more normal, right? So we wanted, we wanted to be first to get back to a more normal pattern. Uh, but then, you know, the second phase was, you know, the first phase was, you know, business were, were uh, hurt, you know, with demand, but the second, it, you know, it came right back. It, you know, by the end of 2020, you know, demand was very strong for at least for our products, and and then into 2020 we had very strong demand. But then you started to see this all this inflationary stuff because you know demand was much much greater than supply because of the, all the supply chain constraints. And, you know, working through that, raising prices, doing all the things that you have to do. Again, have, having this trust and with your team and driving that decision making down and supporting them because it's, you know, everything's happening so fast and everything's so complex that, you know, you can't have like a little corporate team that's deciding everything it just, just doesn't work. And, uh, and then I think we're in this third phase right now where, you know, is it, are we going to be in stagflation? Is it, you know, are, are, you know, are, are we going to, Hit a little recession, or we're going to hit a longer recession. So now planning, you know, kind of getting ready to plan for that. So it's been, it's been three, you know, very um, interesting years. But I think, you know, we've we've done actually pretty well through it. Um, you know, just by, just you know, just by kind of, as I said, just trying to see where the see where the economic sea is going, and and trying to you know adjust ourselves to it, and and still kind of you know trying to you know sale for to our goals well and being proactive and acclimation being able to acclimate and all of that that those have been very vital to the survival for anyone through all of that it. right? uh <laughs> it's yeah. been it's been a very interesting ride uh i know even the um business my husband's in has been very interesting through all of this um 
you know, I, I, you talk about, and I like the word purist manager, um, you know, why is this important to buy and build growth strategies? What, what do you mean when you talk about that in your book, what do you mean when you talk about that? Yeah. Well, well, well part of this is because that's, that's what private equity firms are looking for. Right. So, you know, you know, they, they're just investment companies. They, you know, they're always thinking about ideas, right? So the trends, you know, they're looking at different macro trends and they're looking at different sectors in, in the industry and say, well, you know, you know, we, maybe we'd like to invest in, in this special chemical market because we think it has these kinds of trends that are positive for the next five or six years, right? So once they make that decision, they'll want to go out and try and find an executive that really knows and understands that market, right? And that, again, look for people with real track records of success in, uh, in specific industries. And then they really like to partner with those people. And so they're so the reason the reason is sort of there's a demand for it, right? So so private equities um, put a high premium on finding, you know, uh, executives that um, you know know and understand their 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 particular business and market, and you know, uh, would would be able to help the private equity company do a couple of things, right? One is to develop an effective growth strategy for for investments in that in that particular segment. But then also really help to help in this risk mitigation question, right? So, you know, because a lot of times people will buy a company and, you know, they won't know enough about it that if a decision's made that maybe shouldn't have been made, that could create a lot of problems for, for them in the future. And so they're really looking, they're really looking for those kinds of leaders, right? And, you know, leaders with a good track record, leaders that understand a market and industry. Um, and that's what's happening, mean, you know, uh, you know, you, you know, being a, you know, being a general, a generalist where, you know, people jump around to different companies, maybe they learn, learn, you know, that's fine. That's good. But, but that's not necessarily what private equity firms are looking for. They're looking for like specialists in these markets. That really steady and, yeah. yeah, somebody who's steady and who's proven a test of time and the way they, you know, they're going to be there and dependable, uh, which is, you know, it's <laughs> yeah. very important. Okay. Yeah. So he, I, I want to ask you one more question. Um, yeah. You built Royal through three private equity recapitalizations. So um, how rare is that? And obviously it is rare. So. Yeah, it's pretty, it's, it's pretty rare. Um, uh Sometimes doing it twice is not not as rare as it used to be, right? So they call it a secondary capitalization, but um, it, it, it's rare. It, it, well, it's it's rare because you have no control over it if you're the operator, right? So you know, I, when I started Royal, I had my first partners, and we built the company up, and uh, and and it was there's always a time where the investors, you know, over five to seven years, they haven't been able to touch their money, right? They, they want liquidity, right? So then you go through a process of selling the business, and um, and in the end, they, the the management team doesn't really have the final decision on where the business is sold to, right? So you have some influence, but not necessarily the final decision. And uh, so you have to be a little bit fortunate. And also, as an operator, you have to you have to sort of create a business that has a lot more runway that that makes it attractive to private equity, right? So because uh, you you know you can have you know other what we call uh, strategic buyers, which are public companies, as an example, uh, or a bigger private company that might decide to buy it, and you know, and all of a sudden, as a CEO, you're out, and you know, going to find something else to do. Uh, but if you, but if you've uh, built a great business, it has a lot more runway growth prospects 
um, it's going to be attractive to private equity. And that's what that's what happened with my business is, you know, our second the second buyer was a private equity firm. Uh, recapitalized with them, and then we, you know, we, you know, we in the, in the first phase we went from 35 to 110 million, and the second phase went from 110 to 500 million in about five years. Um, and then, in the, and then we sold it again, and uh, fortunately was able to recapitalize it again with another private equity firm, and kept it for another two and a half years. And by that time, uh, we were doing about 650 million in sales in the. You know, I sold it the first time for $100 million, the second time for a billion, and the third time for a billion six. So it was, you know, it's it's, it's a huge value-creating um, opportunity if you, if, if, as, a, as an operator of a private equity-backed company, to be able to recapitalize it a few times over its history. Well, I mean, that must feel really good and really rewarding um, <laughs> to be able <laughs> to do things like that and go, hey... Yeah, so I mean, how was your day? Well, I just pulled yeah. up anywhere, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I mean, that's that's a testament to your hard work and tenacity and curiosity in this world. And um, you know, guy, everybody, anyone who is interested in business, that business is important to you. You're learning new strategies. You want to understand it better, and you want to learn from an expert here that we're talking to on Cover to Cover with Ted Clark. His book is Buy and Build CEO, and it is leveraging private equity to build a winning global business. So go get it on Amazon. It is um, everywhere books are sold. And Ted, tell everyone how they can find you. What's the easiest way to find you? Yeah, just go to uh, tedparkauthor.com and it'll take you to my webpage and stuff, information on the books and the articles and other things that, uh, you know, that I've done. Uh, interviews, you've got interviews there interviews. as well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yes. So thank you so much for your time today. Um, I am so grateful for all this information. Um, for anyone who's listening, you know, go find Ted, go buy his book. You can contact him if you want to interview him. I, he's available for speaking, I'm sure. And, um, you know, and, and grab some great information. And so you can be like Mr. Ted when you grow up and you're a grown up, right? <laughs> yeah. so th thank you again so much for being here. And um, we'll be back soon. Have a very blessed day. Bye-bye. Thank you. Thank you for being a part of our audience today. Please subscribe, like, and share the podcast with your friends, and tune in for the next episode of Cover to Cover for all things in the author world.